Hey everybody, welcome to a new episode of Little Geek Lost. I know that I always mention it, but I do feel weird saying it because you know what you're listening to. You clicked on it, you found it, you decide, hey, I'm going to listen to Little Geek Lost. You know what you're listening to. Um, anyways, I am your host, Mandy, or Cherry Cyanide, as it happens to be, sometimes online. And I've got a different topic this week. Um, well, they're all different topics, right? But sort of something different than what I usually do. Since today is the 25th anniversary of Kurt Cobain dying, and I'm going to say dying, <laughs> that I thought it would be something to do, um, basically my own tribute to Kurt Cobain, what he's meant to me in my life, what Nirvana's meant to me, and my thoughts on his death and that whole, I guess, you know, can of worms, you could say. So, going into it, um, I was sort of, well, okay, so Kurt Cobain was born in... 1967 and he died April 5th 1994 so he was a part of the 27 club uh the 27 club is what they say for I guess like it's mainly musicians that end up dying at 27 (laughs) Jim Morrison, Janis Joplin, Jimi Hendrix they're all part of the 27 club so for me in 1994 I was almost 13 I was turning 13 in May of that year so I wasn't quite 13 yet when he passed away but I was sort of just finding, I guess, like my musical feet, as it were, um, where I fit in musically. I was just sort of discovering a lot of 90s alt rock uh, around the time I listened to Green Day and Offspring as well as Nirvana. and was just sort of figuring out what I liked. And with the 90s, luckily, I was a huge fan of 90s alt rock, so grunge sort of fit right into that. Um, the thing is, though, I was never a fan of Pearl Jam. <laughs> I was always a fan of more of Nirvana as far as grunge goes. But I guess I did read once that they say um, that, like, your music tastes are sort of formed in high school. And, you know, being 13 at the time, that kind of was leading up to high school. So it kind of, you know, falls a bit in line with that. Um, so when I was first listening to Nirvana, I was just, I don't know, I felt like oddly drawn to it I guess to Kurt's Kurt's voice and his guitar melodies and just sort of the whole feel of the band as a whole. It was never mind that I sort of got into more um, as an album. Um, that's kind of just sort of where I picked up and then listened to their, their earlier works before that and yeah so that's just sort of you know where I started listening to them. Um, Something in the Way is probably my favorite song even though it's probably the most depressing song <laughs> by them. And I was just, I guess, sort of discovering them. And then I found out that, you know, he had passed away. So that was sort of a big blow to me. I'd never really, I mean, there probably wasn't really anyone that I was fans, a fan of it up until that point that had passed away. And when celebrities pass away, someone that you're a fan of, that you have, like, I guess, a, you know, feel a connection to, it's, it's a weird thing. It affects you. And, you know, hearing that they were saying it was suicide is kind of like a whole big thing and being 13 and trying to just wrap my head around that you know the the suicide part and how it was like big in the news and just like a huge world event and you know it's one of those things where you kind of just knew that this was sort of like a big deal I mean with later on in life you know see 9-11 and your parents talking about assassinations of presidents and stuff this is sort of just it felt like one of those big world events so after that, it was kind of, I mean, I got more into Nirvana, listened to them more. Um, I had a, a t-shirt that had his, like, a ch- his childhood school picture on it that I wore, and I remember I was, like, 15 or something, 
And someone asked me if it was my kid, and I was like, uh, no, it's Kurt Cobain. You know, it said Kurt Douglas Cobain underneath it. So I, I kind of continued on being a, a fan, you know, as I moved <laughs> moved into my high school years. And I think because I was just trying to find that connection to Nirvana still on listening to their music, and because there wasn't new music coming out um, with his wife, Courtney Love, and her band Hole, I sort of just, you know, kind of latched onto that a bit and was like, oh, I'll listen to them and... You know, it still kind of got something to do uh, with him. And then later on when Dave Grohl started Foo Fighters, I became a a fan of them. And I still really am a fan of of Foo Fighters. And I remember, you know, being super into him, like into the the music and reading when he first made the first Foo Fighters CD. And how, like, he he played, Dave Grohl played all the instruments on it because he didn't really have a band for him yet. And just the history of Foo Fighters with the Japanese, you know, and just that whole thing so it was sort of like stepping stones from Kurt Cobain and Nirvana to finding other bands but then I think like as I got older I kind of cut on to the whole Courtney Love thing and looked into it a bit more and eventually stopped being a fan of hers and whole because of the whole death thing which I will get into later on um I did end up getting a book of his journals when they published that uh, a few years ago, quite a few years ago now. And so that was super cool to see like his own handwriting and his drawings and just that, I guess, other connection to it. Um, like I said, it was just something about the music and the lyrics, lyrics that were just sort of a big deal for me. Um, they still are. I still feel all this crazy connection to Nirvana and Kurt Cobain stuff and still a huge fan to this day. Um, I watched a documentary about the making of Nevermind a few years ago and Butch Vig, who was actually in Garbage, which is like another big, big, big band to me, big fan band that I was a fan of. He produced the whole album and I remember the one part that stuck out the most to me was him talking about when they were trying to record something in the way and it just wasn't coming out right. So eventually Kurt Cobain just laid down on the couch with his guitar in his lap and just sang it that way like they held the microphone up to him and he sang it that way and now it's the one that you hear and it's just I don't know it's the most <laughs> it's the most depressing song but it feels like it's the most emotional and raw and real song and I think that that's why I'm like so drawn to it and being you know good old emo goth teenager kind of really hit me you know struck a real <laughs> struck a real chord with me so I guess we should get to the good stuff, as it were. Although it's not really good stuff, but basically his death. Um, I don't believe it was suicide. I don't believe he shot himself. It's one of those things where, you know, there's a big debate and some people are like, yep, he was depressed and he was a heroin addict and he totally, you know, took a bunch of heroin and shot himself. And it's like, I don't think so. It feels weird to me. Um, I always kind of believe that, you know, Courtney was behind it obviously not doing it herself when they're like oh she didn't kill him well no she didn't kill him obviously someone else you know was involved in it um i think that basically they either gave him a lot of heroin or he took it himself and you know or convinced him to do it and they they someone else shot him they the mysterious they in quotes right so that's just what i believe um, there's the whole documentary Soaked in Bleach, which is really good. And it's from the viewpoint of Tom Grant, who was the PI that Courtney had hired. And it kind of really goes, goes more into depth about, you know, the whole timeline of everything. So a little bit of that, um, on March 3rd, when he was in Rome, there was like the Rome incident <laughs> that they call it, where he ended up in the hospital 
from taking too many pills and champagne. And the weird thing is the pills were hypno or roofies, which is a weird thing to do. Um, so I guess there's some debate on whether or not, you know, he was, Courtney said afterwards that it was a suicide attempt. You know, was it a trial run? Was it Courtney doing it, testing the water, seeing, you know, what, what would happen? It was never really brought up as being a suicide attempt until after he had killed himself, not at the time. And he was constantly in chronic stomach pain anyways, and that's mainly why he took heroin, was to, to numb the pain and be able to function. Um, but it was just weird. Roofies and champagne. <laughs> so then I guess on March 18th, Courtney Love called the police, saying that he was suicidal and locked himself in a room with a gun. The police came, they basically confiscated the guns and some pills, but he, Kurt Cobain, insisted that he wasn't suicidal and he was locking himself in the room to hide from Courtney Love. So that kind of goes to show, you know, maybe his mentality <laughs> leading up to his death and what he felt in terms of, you know, his life with her. Um, and then on March 25th, Courtney Love held an intervention to get him to go into rehab which he went into for um, for heroin and they were saying, you know, he was suicidal and stuff. But when he checked himself in, they didn't find that and he didn't give off the impression that he was suicidal. They figured it was just, you know, for heroin and to get him on to, I guess, off of heroin onto something else. Maybe they could control his pain. And then on March 30th, he basically went outside to have a cigarette, climbed over the fence and left. So on April 3rd, when no one had heard from him, that's when Courtney Love decided to hire Tom Grant to find him. And she was just, I guess, like super sketchy about how she was talking to him and dealing with it and everything and where she was directing him to look for him and not really being super helpful. It was almost like she was trying to put on the front of, of trying to find him, but not really. And then on April 8th, I guess, because his body hadn't been found yet, <laughs> Courtney decided to hire an electrician to do some work on the greenhouse that was above the garage, I believe. And that's when the electrician found his body. Um, it was noted that, like, I guess they'd never told Tom Grant to look up there. He didn't even know there was a greenhouse up there. So that's maybe why it was a while before his body was found. He'd been dead for a few days at that point. So I believe that they said it was, like, the 4th was his actual... Um, sorry, the 5th was his actual day that he, you know, had killed himself. And, yeah, so there was... They immediately ruled it a suicide. They didn't take any fingerprints from the gun, um... They just basically, you know, looked it over because the room was locked, but be you can actually lock it and go out the door the way it was set up. And they found the heroin beside him. So, I mean, he just, I guess, shot up a whole bunch of heroin and then shot himself. But it's like, why would you go through the trouble of shooting yourself? Why wouldn't you just OD on heroin? Like, I don't, you know, <laughs> it seems like a little bit of overkill to me. And there was a lot of his friends that they had talked to afterwards that said, you know, it seemed... A very aggressive act from a person who wasn't aggressive at all. Um, his lyrics and his music may have been more aggressive, but him as a person wasn't. So it was. They were really shocked at how of aggressive an act it was. And I guess with the police work too, because you know they didn't. I don't. It just seemed like there was a lot of shadiness going on with that. In 2014, they released some more pictures of the crime scene, and there wasn't really, you know, much information. And there was you know, a big campaign for years to try and get them to reopen, reopen the case and actually try and look at it rather than just assume because he was a heroin addict that he, you know, shot up with heroin and shot himself. It seems weird. <laughs> um, the theory that I subscribe to is the one that Courtney Love was mad that he was leaving her and just, you know, 
basically wanted to take him out for that. The suicide note that they found is more on the lines of him leaving music, leaving Courtney Love, just sort of wanting to leave the whole life behind, possibly get a divorce. He had talked to his lawyer about a divorce. And then on the bottom of the suicide note, there's this whole extra bit that makes it seem like a suicide written in completely different handwriting. And Courtney Love's lawyer had actually found a backpack of hers that had practice sheets of her writing out in his handwriting. So right there, that's super sketchy to begin with. Um, And the thing that I think of that, you know, is the theory that she was mad that he was leaving her in the music behind and she wanted to sort of do this to jumpstart her own career because right after he died, she still went on tour with Hole and was out promoting her album and basically using it as a jumping point for her own career and a way to promote her stuff and just sort of be like, oh, you know, because she's in spotlight now, it's a really good way for her to promote herself. Um, so, yeah, that's sort of my my thoughts on it. Um, I did find a really good quote from Anthony Kiedis from Red Hot Chili Peppers that said, you know, when he heard that Kurt Cobain had died, he felt like all the air had been sucked out of the room and said that the world had suffered a great loss and for all of his screaming and all of his darkness, Kurt was just lovable. And they wrote the song Tearjerker about Kurt Cobain. So, I mean, for me, Kurt Cobain and Nirvana still hold, you know, a deep connection to a lot of stuff. I still listen to Nirvana all the time, constantly, every playlist. I have some Nirvana in there. I have a red and black Nirvana hoodie. I have several t-shirts. I have a black and red striped sweater, which kind of is the same style as a hoodie, um, which is from some of his promotional things that I found. And yeah, that's... uh, (laughs) That's just sort of my my thoughts and my tribute um, to Kurt Cobain on, you know, the 25th, the 25th anniversary of his death, I'll say, not of his suicide, not of him killing himself, of him dying. So I would have loved to play a song, but I don't want to get hit with rights violations. So maybe we'll just close out with a little bit of uh, a something in the way and... As usual, you can find me on social media. You can find my website, logiegloss.com, if you haven't already been there. On Instagram and Twitter, I'm at Cherry Cyanide with two N's. And yeah, hopefully uh, hopefully you enjoy Kurt Cobain. And if you haven't listened to anything Nirvana, I highly suggest going out there, finding some Nirvana. There's a lot of, you know, there's a lot for, for the little time that he was, you know, in the spotlight and the band. And MTV Unplugged is an iconic album. And I would recommend it to anyone. Mm-hmm.